Well, this morning we are starting a new sermon series I mentioned last Sunday. And it's called Good News for the Not So Good. And this morning's message is entitled A Work in Progress. Every one of us are right now a work in progress in the eyes of God. In other words, God's still working in our hearts. He's still working in our lives. Matter of fact, the reason you still have breath in your lungs today is because God's not done with you yet. Amen? I firmly believe that. And so our text this morning is from the first chapter of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth in Corinthians. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to begin looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning. While you're turning there, I wanted to share with you an illustration, and it's about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Now, how many have been actually been there to see that? Anybody? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. You have been there? Okay. Anybody else? I will be. You will be. When? In June. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, I know that we have a lot of world travelers here. I won't call you out, like Rhonda, my sister, or, or uh, Andre and Linda, but, uh, and, and up here. But uh, I kind of I live my life vicariously through your lives and your vacations, so thank you. Keep on going on those. But uh, most of us have seen the tower, at least in pictures, right? You've seen it online. If you've been on Facebook for more than a couple of days, you've seen a picture of someone standing in front of it with the depth angle making it look like as if they're trying to hold it up or push it up to keep it from tipping over. We see that on Facebook. Uh, the tower is located in, in Pisa, Italy. It's Pisa. And, and the, the, for centuries, it was assumed that it was designed by the 12th century architect, uh, Bernardo Pisciano. I uh, can't say that right, but anyway, it's close. I can spell it for you. In recent years, there has been speculation that the building was designed by an architect named uh, Deotti Salvi. Whoever designed it, you can be sure of this, that the leaning aspect of the tower was not included in the original blueprint, correct? It was intended, I think, to stand up tall and straight. It's interesting to note, though, that the original designer, whoever it was, did not live to see its completion. Uh, that's because from the day they broke ground uh, to the proverbial ribbon-cutting ceremony, it took a total of 199 years to build the tower. How many knew that? There's, there's, you didn't know that? I didn't know that until I studied this and looked it up and stuff. Amazing that it took so long when you consider how long it takes to build other buildings and historical monuments. For example, the Roman Colosseum was built in 10 years. All right, The Great Pyramid of Giza took 20 years. And then Buckingham Palace took 23 years. And Lauren, you're right on target there. <laughs> so it's surprising that a building that doesn't quite stand perfectly straight and upright took 199 years to complete, which kind of like looks like a work that's still in progress, you know? And, and so imagine, if you would, the number of laborers who spent their entire lives building that tower and never saw it near to completion. Wouldn't that be frustrating? It would be for me. And, and you have to wonder how many of them stopped at one point while they were working on it and said, you know, is it my imagination or does this tower lean a little bit? You know, um, is it slightly slanted? I'm not sure. But I find it fascinating because after all these years, 
the tower is still standing, and according to the experts, it's not expected to fall anytime soon, all right? I watch videos of, of uh, when I have extra time, which is at night sitting around and you watch dumb, not cat videos, okay? Uh, dog videos, yes, with Airedale Terriers and Welsh Terriers sometimes, uh, but uh, I watch farm silos tipping over, you know, they, the farmers knock out a couple of bricks and the whole thing just like, you know, it's leaning or whatever, and the whole thing comes over, and I, I, I don't know why, but I find that fascinating. But what I really find fascinating in the Tower of Pisa is it took that many years, 199 years, to build the work in progress. No doubt you've seen at times on your drive to work, perhaps, on your drive to church, uh, maybe a trip to the grocery store, you'll notice a plot of ground, and around that plot of ground is now a fence for construction, and there'll be a sign, you know, coming soon, whatever, or whatever construction group uh, the, the construction guys are, and you start thinking, well, I wonder what that's going to be, you know, what's, what's going to go up there? In case you haven't noticed, on the corner of southeast of, of Baseline and Higley, there is a Chick-fil-A coming. That's like less than a half a mile from here. That's not good for me because of their peach shakes in the summertime. But anyway, it's, it's a wonderful place to visit, but not on Sunday, because Tim Hawkins has a song about that too. But anyway, the Chick-fil-A song. But, but Chick-fil-A is coming on the corner down here, and, and the good news is uh, you can come during the week as well and visit that if it's, if it's close for you. Anyway, you'd see, you drive by this construction site, and you think, what will that be? And every day you go by and you see the, the, the foundation being poured, you know, the footers, the floor and stuff. You see the framing going up. You see the walls going up. You see the windows being put in, the roof, etc. And all of a sudden, within a few months, the new building is completed. And you see, you know, a sign that says grand opening, you know, Dollar Tree, Trick Chick-fil-A or whatever. And it's like, wow, that went up so fast. When we built the house back in 2003, we signed papers end of end of August, and we were moving in the day after Christmas, four months later in 2003. So four months to build a house. Wasn't too bad as a track home, but it, it takes time. But uh, even at that, four months to, com you know, to compare to 199 years is nothing, all right? And so uh, here's, my, here's my point, though, in all this, all this uh, illustration. Spiritual growth, the process of becoming more Christ-like, becoming holy, is more like the construction of the Leaning Tower of Pisa than it is the construction of a Chick-fil-A or my house or whatever. It doesn't happen that quickly as we would like, and sometimes, honestly, it seems like the work will never be done. As I said, the reason that we're all still here today is because God's not done with us. Uh, Self-help writer Regina Brett has referred to people who are a work in progress as, as uh, a work in progress without the progress, she wrote. A work in progress without the progress. How many of you have known somebody that qualifies for that? A work in progress without the progress. Uh, to be honest, um, I think we have all felt that way at one time or another. It's like, okay, God, are you done here? What else do I got to learn here? You know, whatever. And so we don't always see spiritual progress in our lives as we would like to. But I can guarantee you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, the good news is the building will be completed, it will pass inspection, and it will last forever. Hallelujah. All right. In other words, God's still working in our lives. That all being said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, today's text. Paul, 
called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way. Think about that. In Him you have been enriched in every way. In all your speaking and all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, Paul writes, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. Amen? So as we know, we're starting to study today, and, and, and just a little bit of background here. In the, uh, in this, it's the second longest letter in the New Testament, Romans being a little bit longer. And so I will tell you from the get-go, this is going to be an extended sermon series. But we'll take some short breaks every few chapters for the sake of variety, as well as in two weeks we have guest speaker Gary Webb from OCJ Kids with us. Love his heart, love his ministry, we support them. And they're going to be with us on April 30. And then two weeks from that is Mother's Day. There'll be a Mother's Day message. And then it's Memorial Weekend and back to our summer schedule. And we'll be taking a few weeks off of vacation in the summertime. So all of that to say, it's going to be a great series, a great spring, a great summer. And please plan on being here for that. Now, if Paul were to uh, title his letters, he might title this one, Good News for the Not So Good, which is a title that we'll get more into in the weeks that come. And we'll see why he, we are naming that, this series that. But some people say this. Well, Jesus, yes. Church, no. Jesus, yes. Church, no. Like Gandhi once said, his problem was not with Christ, but with Christians. <laughs> There's some truth to that. You see, comments like those remind us really of the church at Corinth. Many in this sinful city had received Jesus and yet the church was young and it was immature. These young believers needed a lot of love. They needed strong teaching. They needed to be taught really how to grow in Christ, how to mature in Christ. The Corinthian church was divided. We'll get into that in the weeks ahead as well. Uh, some were committing sexual sins while others sinned by taking each other to court in lawsuits at the pagan feasts. Some ate meat offered to idols and had sex with temple prostitutes. And so Paul is writing to this church to help this church find their way to heaven, to help them along. And so Corinthians really reminds us of this little truth, no church is perfect. I've said before that if you find the perfect church, be sure you don't go there because when you attend, you will ruin it because you're imperfect and so are all of us, all right? But most, honestly, most churches have issues of some sort and the Corinthian church was no exception. 
They had cliques, they had contentions, there was misunderstandings going on of how to use their God-given gifts to serve Him and to enrich one another. And still God, in spite of all that, God was still working in them and through them, having gifted them with all they needed to serve His purposes. And so 1 Corinthians, more background here, was written in the year A.D. 55, give or take a year, and it was written to the church which was actually a network of house churches in the sophisticated seaport of the city of Corinth. Corinth, an ancient city of Greece, was in many ways the most prominent Greek metropolis of Paul's time. It was a key city in terms of commerce, in terms of tourism. Like many of today's prosperous cities, Corinth, as I said last week in introducing this, this message, uh, was intellectually, Corinth was intellectually arrogant, it was materially affluent, and it was morally corrupt. Sounds much like the church today in America or the Western church, uh, even America today in general. I mean, sin of every kind flourished in this notoriously sinful city, this sensual city, as was noted as a city filled with idolatry and kind of an anything-goes uh, approach to, men, to morality. The worldly attitude sometimes found its way into the church and created uh, a few problems, actually, for the believers there. And so it was the church in Corinth that the Apostle Paul penned his words of correction, at times counsel, instruction, to really to help them uh, mature in Christ and, as I said, to get to heaven. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to see that the church in Corinth was a church in disarray, a church that desperately needed leadership and a church that needed correction. We're going to see as well in the weeks to come that Paul is going to speak to them in a, in a, in a rather harsh uh, shape up or ship out kind of manner. At other times, Paul is going to speak to them gently with great encouragement and optimism. Sometimes both are needed. All right, that's because this body of believers who at times may have seemed not so good, guess what? They were still God's people. All right. And they were bought with a price, and they were heirs to the promise, you know, just like we are, all right? And so there's a lot of similarities there as well. And so today we might not deal with the same issues that plagued the church in Corinth, but we have not yet attained perfection, not as a church and not as an individual. With that being said, turn to your neighbor and tell them, in case they don't know, you're not perfect yet. Go ahead. You're not perfect yet, and neither am I, all right? And neither am I, all right? And so we have not yet attained perfection. Now, all of us are a work in progress. And so Paul's words then to the church in Corinth, I believe, will apply to us as well. And so today, as we take a closer look to the verses I just read in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, I want us to see three aspects of the work of progress God is doing in our lives. The first thing is this. Number one, you have been given the holiness you don't yet have. Kind of a play on words there a little bit. But Paul begins in verse 2 by saying, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. The King James says, called to be saints. Called to be saints. And so, yeah, you're not perfect, 
but you are a saint if you're a follower of Christ. Matter of fact, the terminology, uh, a sinner saved by grace, whatever, is not really a biblical phrase, but we are called saints. Now, being, being called a saint does not mean you're perfect. It does not mean you have it all figured out and whatever, because, as I said, you're still a work in progress. But to those sanctified in Christ and called to be saints, called to be holy, when we read uh, further in this letter, we'll see the problems that that was plaguing the Corinthian church and the the Corinthian Christians there. But I thought, man, after all Paul writes to them about, he still called them saints. Let that sink in. He still called them saints, even though they were messed up, I would say, on the outside, all right? And so, basically, uh, it's the work of Christ that makes someone a saint, not the work of the body of believers or a body of people. Paul's introduction to the church is revealing because Paul is simply pointing out what the church is. The local church is the church, as it says, born of God. It is the church of God which was at Corinth. That is, it is God's church in a particular city or locality. It's the church born of God, but it's also the church of God. The church belongs to God, uh, not to any man, not to any denomination. This church does not belong to Brian. It does not belong to the assemblies of God. Technically, it belongs only to God Almighty because of Jesus who shed his blood, innocent blood, on behalf of the church. And so the church exists, it belongs to God, it's born of God, it exists to do God's will, not man's will, and it is called to be sanctified, called to be holy. Now, what does the word sanctified mean? It means holy, and and it really, sanctified means to be set apart, to be separated. The last song we sang really epitomizes what, what it's all about. Now, there are three, quickly, there are three stages of sanctification, Number one, there is the initial or the positional stage, positional stage of sanctification. Don't know why my mouth is dry this morning. Anyway, there's a positional, positional sanctification. In other words, when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are immediately set apart for God. There is immediate uh, uh, a positional sanctification, number one. Number two, then there's what is called progressive sanctification. This is where the true believer makes a determined and disciplined effort to allow the Holy Spirit of God to set him or her apart every day. Positionally, we're, we're, we're sanctified, but we are being sanctified. So this, this growth takes place as long as the believer walks upon earth, and, and once again, the Spirit of God conforms a person to the image of Jesus Christ. That being our goal, Romans 8, 29. So we have positional sanctification, number one. Number two, we have progressive sanctification, an ongoing work of sanctification. But then we have, number three, what's called eternal sanctification. In other words, the day is coming when the believer will be perfectly set apart unto God and His service without any sin or failure whatsoever. That day will be great and glorious. It will be part of then the believer's eternal redemption. Think of it this way. You have been sanctified positionally. You are being sanctified, progressive sanctification, and you shall be sanctified, past, present, and future. Or think of it this way. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you shall be saved. All right? 
How, you all look confused right now. Does that kind of make sense to you a little bit? All right. And so the word sanctify was a, is a good Wesleyan word that means to be set apart for a special sur- uh, purpose, or you could say made holy for a special purpose. And what is that special purpose? Well, that special purpose, according to Paul, is that we become holy, we become like Jesus Christ. We have been called to be holy, called to be saints. Now, we have been set apart so that we might become who we were meant to be. Let me say it again. We have been set apart so that we might become who we were meant to be. Now, I want you to see this distinction. Interesting. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says that the God of peace will sanctify you completely. He will sanctify you completely. But then in our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, says that we have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so on one hand, Paul's saying, the God of peace will sanctify you, but then he also says, you have been sanctified. And so what is it? You will be sanctified or you have been sanctified, which is true. Both are true. Both are true. We have been sanctified in word, so we may become sanctified in deed. In other words, we were set apart at salvation so we might live the Christian life and might become holy without which we cannot see the Lord and then becoming like him in his holiness and his likeness. Now to say that he's given us holiness we don't have yet is like saying he's given us a title that we haven't yet attained. Imagine, if you will, calling someone the heavyweight boxing champion of the world before they ever stepped into the ring. Or imagine naming a student as senior class valedictorian on their first day of kindergarten. You see, God has made you holy by his word so you may become holy in all that you do. But always keep in mind, church, that this is a process and you are a work in progress. That's why it's called progressive sanctification. Now, sometimes some of us might not live up to the calling that we've been given. All right? Think of, for example, Charles III, the monarch of England. We have known him always as Prince Charles, the heir apparent to the throne. And that didn't change even when he didn't act so kingly. All right? He was still destined to be the king that he has become. God has a calling on each of our lives, a calling without revocation. He won't take it back. He won't change his mind. He has called you and me to be holy, to be separated from sin, and to be set apart unto him. And God will make us holy. I like to say it this way. God will make you holy even if he has to drag you kicking and screaming all the way. He's going to do his work in you. I heard a preacher years ago that said this. If the devil don't kill you, God will. I mean, kill you, dying to your will, dying to yourself. Because when it comes down to it, a true follower of Jesus Christ no longer belongs to themselves. They belong to him. And he has a right to do in our lives and through our lives whatever he wants. 
And sometimes he drags us, kicking and screaming, saying, God, I don't want to do that. I don't, you know, whatever. But God's going to complete his work in our lives. And so keep this in mind. God loves you too much and has too much invested in you to leave you the way you were and the way you are. Even though you haven't quite yet attained the title you've been given, remember you're a work in progress. God's not finished with you yet. And so the idea of holiness, of sanctification, of being his saint, number one. Number two, you have been given all the gifts you will ever need. And they will come to you at the right time when you need them. Looking at verse 5 and verse 7. In him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and all your knowledge. Verse 7, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus. Later on in chapter 12, Paul will detail how every believer is given spiritual gifts. And he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, which I've done a sermon series on just recently. But, but, but we've all been given gifts. We've all been, been uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God's called us to do. In fact, I can be, you can be sure this morning, we can be sure that not only has God given you a gift, but I think for many people, God gives multiple gifts. And there are some primary ones that might stand out and stick out. But, but God has empowered you. God has gifted you and given you whatever you need when you need it. There's a verse in Scripture that most of us know. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, when I first came to Christ and read that verse, it was one of my first verses I've learned and memorized and, and looked at. But when I first read that verse and came, and came to it, I thought, well, that's talking about my material needs. You know, I, think it, I, I was thinking back then, it was just primarily about my, my, my material needs. Well, our material needs can be included, but I've come to realize that that verse includes much more than that. In other words, this is a promise that if you will allow God to do what God wants to do, God will give you whatever you need in the moment you need it. So, for example, if you need strength, God will give you strength when you need it. If you need encouragement, God will give you encouragement when you need it. When you need determination, God will help you to be that person of determination. When you need grace, God's going to give you the grace you need. When you need mercy, God will give you the mercy you need. And the list goes on and on and on. See, whatever God has called you to do, God has also equipped you and empowered you to do it. Now, maybe sometimes you're tempted to say, well, and I've, been, I've, been, this is, I've faced this. I'm not sure I have what it takes to do what God's leading me to do. You know, uh, none of us do. None of us do in our own strength, all right? All right we say, well, I'm not sure I have what it takes to be the person that, that God intends for me to be. But honestly, you do have what it takes, not in your own strength, but in his power, in his strength, all right? God is at work in you. Matter of fact, going on to Philippians chapter 2, it says, for it is God who works in you to will and act, to will and to act, according to his good purpose. That verse is simply telling us, you know, God gives you the desire, the want to, the will to do good, but God also gives you the ability or the strength or the power to do good. 
See, all the gifts that you need to live the way God wants you to live, to live your life, your life as, a, as an example to others, God has given you everything you need in Christ. There is no lack. And so when God calls you to do something, your flesh might say, well, how am I going to do that? And all of our flesh reacts the same way. But God's saying, hey, I'm with you as you go. I'll be with you. I'll, I'll help you. I'll give you strength. I'll give you my power. And so basically, all the gifts you need to live a holy life the way God's intended are already yours in Christ Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul wanted the believers at Corinth to understand. Even though at the moment, there was a bit of disconnect between their calling and their current condition. All right. Just because God calls you to do something doesn't mean that right at this moment you're ready for it. He might lay something on your heart that might happen five years from now or ten years from now or whatever, but always keep in mind that you and I are a work in progress. God is working in our lives. And just as God worked in the Corinthian church, God wants to work in your heart as well. And so it might be taking longer than you'd like. It might not be 199 years yet, all right, but it might seem like it. But God's still working in our lives. He's giving us the gifts and the holiness, the strength, the power that we need. Third thing is this. You, can, you have been given the victory you can't yet see. You have been given the victory you can't yet see. Going back to the the Tower of Pisa. Construction begins, for example, in 1173 when the foundations laid. Then zoom forward 100 years. It's now 1273, and 100 years later, the building's not finished yet. That would be very frustrating to me. How many of you are impatient? Be honest. Come on now. All right. In fact, 100 years later, the, the Tower of of Pisa is barely half done. It looks like it's never going to be done. But just wait. It will be completed. And when it's done, it's going to be magnificent. So much so that it's going to cause Tina and Dennis to go see it this summer. It's still leaning, all right? It's still there. See, as Jesus' ministry on earth came to a close, things seemed to quickly unravel not only for him, but his band of what I call unschooled ruffians that followed him around. I mean, Jesus became a very political and religious target with every effort made by the religious folks and, and, and those that were opposed to him to sabotage his work, to turn the tide of public opinion against him. As you know, he was betrayed by a friend. He was arrested. We covered this in the last two weeks in the Holy Week in the Passion of Christ. He was beaten. He was ridiculed, abandoned by nearly all. He was led to his death. He did not seem in that moment to be, to be like the conquering hero that they, that they wanted, that they thought he was. He didn't appear to them to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He seemed more like a misguided martyr, if anything. Now, nothing could be further from the truth because it already had been determined even before the foundation of the world that, hallelujah, the grave could not hold him down, that he would rise victorious over sin and death, and he would conquer those things, and he would reign forever and ever and ever. Now, his was a victory 
that could not yet be seen, but it was as real, as real as it could get. And I want you to know this morning that his victory has paved the way for your victory. Amen. I mean, today you may feel you will never get there, but I want you to know that God has given you a victory that you can't yet see, and he will bring his work in your life to completion if you allow him to do that. That's why Paul says, look at verse 8 again. He will keep you strong, how long? Until the end. He will keep you strong to the end. So you will be blameless on the day of Christ. Now the phrase strong to the end means that God is going to sustain you. God is going to empower you. God is going to give you what you need when you need it. In other words, God's going to help carry you through this thing. Amen. He will help you to the end. Strong to the end. As Paul said to the church once again to Philippi, again, one of my life verses, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, God is still working in your life. God has not given up on you. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your loved ones that still don't know him or, or want to follow him. God's not done yet. God's still on a throne of grace. God's still on a throne of mercy, and he's still working not only in your hearts, but in your loved ones' lives as well. Amen. This is what I think the book of Corinthians teaches us. See, our potential to become great in God's kingdom might not be obvious to everybody else. It might not even be obvious to you today. But God sees because he's put it there, and he plans to make it happen. As I said, even if sometimes he has to drag you kicking and screaming along the way. I'm simply saying today, and if you get nothing else, please get this. God will finish what he has begun in you even if it seems to take forever. There's not one person here that is 199 years old today. We have some 90-year-olds, but there's not one person over 100 that I'm aware of. 199 years to complete the Tower of Pisa. Now, it wasn't long, no doubt, before someone had seen, you know, someone had, during that construction had saw this and, and I thought, well, I'm not sure if what we're doing is correct here or not. This building, I don't know about you, but this building seems to lean about five degrees. You know, is that, is that normal? You know, it looked as if the building, the tower could fall at any minute. See, the vulnerability reminds me of something Paul would later say to the same Corinthian church, not in his first letter, but in his second letter, his second epistle to the Corinthians, and that is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he's talking about some of the trials that he has faced, and he quotes Jesus Christ as saying to him, Paul, I added that, but my grace, Paul, God says, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is made perfect in weakness. I love that. For my power, the Lord says, is made perfect in weakness. You see, the leaning aspect of the Tower of Pisa 
could be considered a defect. But it also could be considered an architectural miracle. I'll choose the latter. I'll choose the architectural miracle. Because honestly, a leaning building should fall because of gravity. But this one hasn't. And as I said, the experts say it's not going to happen anytime soon. The tilt has instead become a fascinating feature causing the tourists to want to go see it and take a picture of it holding it up. I want a picture of you holding it up this summer, all right? <laughs> but the tilts become this fascinating feature. Now, you and me, truth be told, we lean a little bit. Some of us a lot, all right? Some of us might feel, I'm leaning way too much, and I feel I'm gonna, as if I'm going to fall over. In fact, we could quite easily be susceptible to a fall, except, except for the architectural miracle of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen. That means, yeah, I lean a little bit, but I'm going to be okay. Why? Because my, my, my commander-in-chief, my architect, our builder and maker, my builder and maker is working on me yet. That's what I'm saying. So I'm simply saying this. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he has sanctified you. He has set you apart. He has called you holy. Matter of fact, he's called you his saint, set apart unto him, and he's making you holy. He's made you holy, he's making you holy, and you will be holy, sanctified. Secondly, he's given you the gifts. Every gift you need, everything you need, he's empowered you. He's given you what you need to be the person he has created you to become. And, and he has every intention to finish the work he began in you. Now, as I said, we all might lean a little bit, but yet when we yield ourselves fully to him, even with the lean, he is able to sustain us. Isn't that good news? In our weakness, in our weakness, his power is made perfect. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, God, for working in our lives. I know the last couple of weeks we had nine people respond to salvation, and some of you are here this morning. And I'm just here to encourage you and say, hey, you know something? Don't give up on God because God's not giving up on you. Allow God, I, I heard a preacher say years ago, God will pull you through if you can stand the pull. It, you're a work in progress is what he's saying. And so we're all a work in progress. And that progress might not always be observable to everybody on the outside, but progress is being made. Change is happening. That's God's promise. And you can be sure, church, you can be sure, and then be, be, be assured this morning, that God's going to finish his work that he began in you. As I said, he has way too much invested in you to leave you the way you are, the way you were. Let's all stand with closing prayer. I'm hoping and trusting that God has been speaking to you through this message. I love Corinthians. I've taught on this book years ago. I've done series on the gifts of the Spirit I've taught from the 13th chapter on love, I mean, a lot of different things, but I love this book because it's real. And we got real people here with real life struggles, and yet God's working in their lives 
And Paul's saying, hey, God's called you holy. God's called you, you know, you're sanctified. You are called to be saints. You're saints. And so God's working in our lives. Amen? I'm praying that God has touched your heart with the message this morning and that you're going to leave this place, your head a little bit higher, saying, God, thank you. Thank you for working in my heart. Thanks for working in my life. And so with that being said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the work of grace that is being uh, done in my life and in, in, in your church here at Baseline Christian Fellowship. I thank you, God, for working in lives, working in hearts. God, for those, once again, that have responded to you in the last few weeks, I just pray, God, that you would encourage them and let them know that, that, that the thing that you began in them, this work of grace, you're going to bring it to completion. We thank you for that. We thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you, God, that, that you are always there for us. You're not going to leave us nor forsake us, God. You're going to keep us strong, as, it, as your word says. You're going to keep us strong to the end. I thank you today, God, that you have given us whatever gift we need. You have given us the empowerment to complete the work of God in our lives and through our lives. And so I just pray, God, that you would take the word this morning and encourage the hearts of your people. God, those that are here today, we all have to say, God, yeah, I'm leaning a little bit, but I'm thanking you that you are the master architect who is still working in my life, in our lives, in this year church. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I want to open up the altars this morning. If you would like prayer, if you've come, maybe you're discouraged or things are, things are happening in your life and you're leaning too much, you might say, figuratively, you're leaning too much and you just need that foundation built. If you need prayer, I'm here to pray for you, pray with you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it all begins. By repenting of your sin, by acknowledging, you know, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and, and believing what Christ has done for us. He died on the cross for your sins. He took your place for your sins. But he also wants us to confess our sins, which means to repent of our sins, to forsake our sins, and to embrace him and his work in our lives. So from today on, even though you're leaning a little bit, that foundation's there and all is good. And if you do not know Christ today, I want to pray with you, pray for you, and, and I'll be available at the altar for that as well. Other than that, God bless you all. Have a great week in the Lord. Altars are open if you would like someone to pray for you. I'll be available for that as well. But God bless you all. Have a great week in the Lord. Even though you're leaning, it's going to be okay. You're not going to fall over. God bless you.